You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is some of my best friends are Kabbalists. I'm Avram Kibulevich, and here in front of me is Rav Nossan Mataglik from Ashkelon, Eretz Yisrael. Um, Rav Nossan, I know that uh, it's hard, really, when you experience something as monumental as Purim, uh, especially if you've been in Yerushalayim and you've had like a three-day um, Purim, uh, to sort of like just let it go, <laughs> you know, as much as uh, balabustas all over the world are zeroing in on Vedika's chametz and, 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 and wanting to make sure that it's a chag kosher as long as sameach. I know that in your mind, based on the conversation we had before we started recording, that uh, Purim still in a way looms large for you and, and maybe it should as the Yosef Mizarim. So what is it that you want to talk about today? Uh, as Kabbalist extraordinaire. Ah, okay. Well, you're being pretty, pretty upfront about it. Just tossing the ball in my court. <laughs> but uh, I figured I, I can, I can hit it back to you. Okay, Listen, go ahead. Um, let me. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what interests me about about uh, about Purim. Okay, is that the you know we have we have two we have two holidays which are the result of basically you may buy shani either the preamble to you may buy shani or the the central event perhaps of of you may buy shani you know when we for a fairly brief moment had our own independent kingdom and we managed to throw off the the yoke of the uh of the seleucid uh, greeks you know and those are those are two moments that happen at this kind of specific specific juncture in in, in history. And if you um, if you recall, you know, there's this famous uh, famous Yerushalmi where where it says uh, Ma Esther, um, um, excuse me, Ma Esther Kol Hanisim, you know, and which which seems to make seems to Present that the end of the end of prophecy and the end of miracles is actually the beginning of something is actually the beginning of something good. Now it's a it's a it's a positive change, and we're moving out of this age of of prophecy and miracle and into the light of day. That's the that's that's the implication over there. Which and I, I recall by since we mentioned Rabbi Yechon's wife, you know, I think this was one of the first shiurim that I ever heard from him that I actually remember, and at least I remember this, you know, this this much, this one one nugget, where, um, you know, he asked very pointedly, so we, how does that work? We should we should be we should be you know we should be saying well you know, it's like the end of the day going into night, not the not the opposite, but. At any rate, you know, you, so you know, there's a transition going on. There's a very serious transition. A lot of things are becoming reevaluated. Torah is being accepted again on a completely different, uh, on a different basis than it was than it was previously. Things are being reevaluated. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, theological, philosophical, cultural change that's going on. It seems that at that particular point in history, the world actually becomes more natural than supernatural. And in, in, in Greek society, 
actually happened a little bit prior to that, but uh, in Greek society, what's happening is that mythology is fading out in, in exchange for rationality. That was the belief that there is such a thing as nature and that nature can be understood through the application of, of wisdom. You know, so that's the, that's the origins of philosophy. And uh, some people have indeed pointed out that let's say take, um, take Socrates, you know, Socrates, when you read some of his, some of his dialogues, you know, he's sometimes he uses the language of mythology. Sometimes he uses the language of philosophy, but he's kind of on the, on the borderline right there. So there's something, so there's something happening in worldwide culture. There's something happening in Jewish culture. There's something happening in history. Okay. And the way I think Kubalim have, have conceptualized this is by going back to something that we, that we mentioned previously, um, actually a rather lengthy discussion that we had, the, the idea that history has composed of, of 6,000 years and that if you mark off different periods in history, different periods in history have to do with different aspects of the, of, uh, shall we say, the Sheshit Yemei Habinyan, you know, the six spirit that, uh, that comprise the world as we know it, which is, you know, Chesed, Gvurat, Tiferet, Netzach, Hod, and Yesod. So we, we, you know, we did that whole chronology about how that, how that plays out over history. And it's definitely, it's definitely interesting to see. But um, the... It's it's quite it's quite interesting, you know, that that both Batei Migdash, the first Beit Migdash and the second Beit Migdash, you know, they both they both exist within that time frame of Netzach. So if you look at it mapped out on the body, okay, so Netzach is the right right leg, right, and Hod is the left leg. So first Beit Migdash is is shall we say more connected to the upper body than to the lower body. So to speak, it's not, it's not actually completely on the level of of, uh, of Netzach, so it's still more connected to Tiferet, right? So you still have miracles, you still have prophecy. Once the first Beit Hamikdash goes and the second one comes to comes to replace it, it's a different, you know, it's it's a it's a different story, and you've that's when I guess the transition is felt between the moving between the Midah of Tiferet and moving down to the Midot of, of Netzach and Hod. And that's where, that's where the transition occurs. Transition is really the transition between Tiferet and Netzach and Hod, but it's not exactly felt until you're halfway through, you know, through Netzach. That's why they refer to Hanukkah as the Pagam in Hod, right? As this is a, many Sosra and others talk about this. And again, I, right. I I even 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 though historically the whole story the whole story the story of Hanukkah the story of Purim and the story of Hanukkah happened on the side of Netzach, okay, but it's presumed to be a so whatever happens over there on the side of Netzach is presumed to be a solution to the problem of Hod. Hod is apparently where where the where the problem actually is, right? right? Well, and, and, and and I think that again I'm just. Um... You know, engaging you a little bit here, and um, and and I, I understand that uh, you have a a whole tapestry that you want to unfurl. But just for people who are listening and saying, I don't know what, I mean, my head is spinning already. The reason why it's called Tkufas Netzach is based on if you take the six spheros, if you take the the six midos, which are called 
zeranpin, right? I assume that's what you're talking mm -hmm. about. So if you take, if you give each one a thousand years, is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Each one, if each, yeah. okay, so you didn't say that before, so I'm just helping you out a little bit. So if you have chesed gvurit feras, so basically what's happening in the period of the the second base hamikdash is already within that fourth millennia, which would be siras netzach which would be the thousand years that are connected to Netzach, okay? So um, I think it's also probably important to give uh, a context to is the idea, as we know with the Ushbizin, that these Midos are connected, of course, as they are embodied by the Royim, the Shiva Royim. So Moshe Rabbeinu, in a sense, although he is not alive, as the way we would understand them as a living Rebbe, uh, um, in, in, in the Midbar, but Sviras Netzach is really Moshe Rabbeinu. That's really the Tkufa of Moshe Rabbeinu as well, whereas Choyd is really connected to Aaron Akohen. Um, and I'm not sure if that helps your, 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 what you're trying to get at or not, but it's, it, it resonates within me because although you would, on one hand, you would say, Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean, yes, it's true. He was somehow the embodiment of Sfiras Netzach, but that period that we're talking about, the period of the second Beis HaMikdosh, seems to be a period where, look what we've constructed. Moshe? Right, right? We don't need Moshe. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. Because <laughs> in other words, Moshe really reaches his Shlemus of Netzach, where you see what that power of, of Torah is in the formulation and the creation of a Torah that was really, in a way, the ultimate Netzach, because it allows the ideas that Moshe Rabbeinu is the conduit for to actually have a living viability, um, and, 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 and which has sustained us. Th those ideas did not have the viability in the period of Teferis, as glorious as it was, with Ashlomo and others, and it was, as you say, this incredible, uh, you, know, uh, you know, wonderful, glorious period, but it doesn't have Moshe Rabbeinu's, um, it doesn't have that, that idea of conquering, Netzach, meaning we can overcome these influences and be able to sort of absorb the, the ideas and, and, and create something bigger and better. Meaning, that if you don't have Torah Shabbat development during Bayish Shani, during the period of Hanukkah and Purim, during the period of, 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 of that Zman, then the Hashpa of God is not Minatseach, right? You don't have this idea of, of being Minatseach, which, which is what we've lived in. Does this sound like it's something that uh, has any connection to what we're yeah. going? Well, yes, it yes it does in in many ways. We, although it works better for it works better for for Moshe Rabbeinu than it does for Aharon, if you consider it. As, there's definitely that that period of uh, of um, let's say the second half of Netzach. You know, you may you may buy his Shani is definitely a period where Torah comes into its own as an independent category of thought apart from apart from nevuah and um i mean you know this goes into a whole other question about about um you know what is the difference between tyra be made by a shrishon or you know or or, or after let's say in, in, you know you may ask him you know 
what's the what is Torah like in those in that period of time versus what Torah becomes when when you get to buy Shani? But it's certainly it's certainly clear that that uh, Torah becomes something that you dirish that has that you assume that there's a rational principle there and that you can use the rational principles to determine what it is that Hashem uh, you know wants us to do. And even even if you even if you end up with some paradoxes along the way, such as Elu Elu but but nevertheless you have you can you can work this independently of having a pipeline directly to Hakadosh Baruch Hu through through Nevoah. Right, and it actually gives the so, upper hand. It gives the upper right. hand to the scholar versus we don't know what we're doing. We need versus to versus the navi, right? And incidentally, that's pretty much what if I'm. To the extent that my memory serves me well, going back all those years, that's pretty much what Rabbi Yechon said about the difference between day and night. You know, in a sense, when you're guided by nevuah, you 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 know you're dependent on on some sort of shefa that comes from beyond your mind, and and uh, and you don't necessarily have to understand what you're doing. You know, and it's being apart from that shefa. You know, being more into a naturalistic world order that gives you the ability to to actually comprehend things for yourself and and see the illumination that is inherent in the in the in the ideas themselves as opposed to just you know accepting whatever hits you in a mind and and that seems to be you know so that's that's a that's a critical distinction i said that it works it works doesn't work so well for iron because if iron is hold then and you know Hod, as we said previously, comprises a thousand years in which we have no base of English at all, and the rise of Christianity and Islam, you know, and there's a, probably the low, you know, the complete nadir of 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 the Jewish people, you know, and and things maybe got a little bit better in the six thousandth year. Six thousandth year is is what we know, for, let's say, from the twelfth century onto the onto the current uh, right, which we have the current right, day. In other words, we have Yisod. which has been a very very which has been a very very yeah it's, it's Yisod, but it's been a very very mixed bag for us. Obviously, you know, had some and, uh, and, you know, and, uh, amazing again, using, using again. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to uh, bat the ping pong ball back. <laughs> I'm taking tennis and table tennis together here. Uh, we talked mm. about Miami earlier. Not to mention baseball, but yeah, okay. We talked about yeah. Miami earlier. The the three games. Yeah, basketball was the main thing over there, of course. But uh, in those, uh, uh, there was a lot of, I remember a lot of handball going on. So I'm going to bat the thing back with my hand or slap it with the, uh, with the, uh, with the table tennis. Racket. No, I'm talking about my, with my hand. I forgot. What is it called when you hold the ping pong thing? What is that called? The ping pong? It's a racket. No, the thing you hold in your hand is not called a racket. It's, when you're playing ping pong, oh, it's a it's a it's a paddle. It's a, a paddle. paddle. When you when you're yeah. playing ping pong, so it's a paddle. all right. So there's my hand. If you're playing if you're if you're if you're playing if you you know if you're playing racquetball, it's a racket. Yeah, there's my racket. There's my hand. There's a paddle. So I'm gonna use all three to go back a little bit, and bang it back a little bit against the wall, and talk a little bit about Aro, and what I think. And uh, again, I, I can be your best friend for for a minute here. So it could be the reason why it's Aro. Um, you know, uh, is that as the Nitziv has pointed out, the Nitziv was 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 fascinated by, and part of it really was, uh, I should say, the struggle within his own rabbinic teaching career, because he had certain intellectual strengths, and he met someone that was his superior, in many ways, and his rival, and yet his partner at the same time. That, of course, was uh, Rabbi Yosef Dov Halevi Salavechik the first, the base Halevi. Um, the the uh, uh, 
the great grandfather of Rabbi Yosher of Boston, his namesake. So these two were at the head of the great learning center of Torah let's say, of the 19th century, in a way, Balosh and Yeshiva. Again, Sfardim, I'm sorry, Shiva Beisel, Bukubolim, I offer my apologies to you. But where I'm coming from, that's like the nexus of the Torah universe at that point. Yeah. And, and here we have the uh, the, the, the Sephardi the alternative might be like, it's a, you know, Yeshivat Kisera Hamim from, uh, from Tunisia, you know. So, so they had a whole derech in learning also. Right. Uh, so, but I, again, it, it, from my... Known as Iyun, Iyun Tunisai, you know. Iyun Tunisai. That is fascinating. Yeah, that, there is such a thing. There's such a thing. Right. It would be wonderful to see and to compare the Derachim. I guess if you go through the Truvis of the Rechaim Pelagia and the Abelafias, the later Abelafias and others, um, you know, the ones who bear that name, you could probably find the, the, the methodology of the Sephardic way of learning the Chocham Avadius are familiar with. But let's talk about Velozhin for a second. So Velozhin, yeah, you Velozhin. This- so you had these two powers. You had the Nitziv and the Beis Halevi, and the Nitziv saw himself very much as a Moshe figure. Um, and part of what a Moshe figure was you had access to the text. And then your brain had to work in figuring out the secrets of that text. Now, the Nitziv knew about the Zohar that said that Moshe and Aaron were two Roshe Sanhedros, that they were sort of like these two, they weren't just, hey, bro, what's going on? There actually was this idea that there was the Moshe way of thinking and the Aaron way of thinking. And the way the Nitziv develops this is, based on the Zohar, is that Moshe is about this exactitude in language, words, letters, and things like that. And then it's, and, and Aaron was more about ideas because he didn't have the prophetic imprint of the actual language, but the idea was connected to him. Somehow he was more into the abstract connecting points that somehow, which we know in many ways is the secret engine of the Talmud as well. Like the Talmud is sort of, in one way, it has these hermetic rules and the principles of how Xer Shovel works and opinions of, of Diyukim and Psukim. And there's a certain rigidity, but fun going on the ride and how, where it's going to take you. Then you have these blitzvars that you see in the Yershalmi, where somehow we connect Tuma to, to Zroyim. And it's like this, 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 this idea that's out of left field that somebody, that Moshe, in the way that Nitziv explains, that wasn't his wheelhouse. That wasn't his, his, his sense of, but Aaron somehow makes those connections. It happens on Biyom Hashmini, where Aaron outdoes mm-hmm. Moshe Rabbeinu and says, no, there's no way you, you can eat the Korban Rishchodesh. Uh, an Ovo can eat the Korban Rishchodesh. But I heard about it. Think about it, Moshe. Think about what you heard. Yes, I know the words you said. I know what you were commanded. But logic here indicates against it. I am not your equal in any way, shape, or form. I didn't get the prophecy of the actual language itself. I'm not the master of the text and, 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 and the letters. But there is an idea of connectivity. And the Nitziv saw that in his own life of his strengths and the Levi that was represented the Beis Levi, And that's the way he thought. We talked about Rabbi Zweig earlier about managing these, these disparate elements the Nitziv thought for a while the yin and yang could work. But this is what I think the Nitziv used from his own life experience to articulate so wonderfully the two strands of Moshe and Ara. Anyway, Kivalevich get to the point. That's the idea, I think, of Hode. The idea of Hode is 
we are in a way bereft. By the year 240, you're right. The Tkufas, uh, 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 the Amoroyim are basically finished. Uh, I know Shmuel, a, Shmuel Ben Eli and all the Babylonians think, hey, we're still we're still in the Gemara. What are you talking about, right? It's almost like, right? Yeah, we're we're still the knights in the round table. We're still we're still the ones that are that are no, but but the period has ended, and now you have this type of hoed, our own like connections that are uh, that we need. The edifice is there, and now we're going to allow these things to circle in a way. And that could no. be, that could be, again, despite the darkness of the Middle Ages, that's that's the Bechinas Hod that, you know, takes us into... Oh, do you yeah, like that? I have to, I have, yes, I, yes, I do very much. I have to completely concur with you, and I'll, I'll try to add a little bit of, uh, uh, a little bit of explanation to that. You know, there is, there is, uh, by Mekubolim, there's a, there's a concept of the, of the Chaluka uh, de Rabbanon and the Guf Hanigoyf. So it kind of tries to say that, that each of us, we have a alternative body. It's an astral body. I, mean, I, don't, I don't like using, uh, you know, new age terminologies. It's, it's, it's a body that is your real true self and it's the container for your entire life. It's not just the container for your thoughts and emotions, like, you know, and, and your conscious stuff, which is the way that we look at our regular bodies. It's the container for your entire, for your entire life, for the whole contents of every, of everything. And, and that body cannot be touched by anything that happens. You, know, can, you can, you can destroy the, the material body. Okay. And the material body will die in order to become reborn. But even while the material body is lying dead in the ground, there is still this, this ethereal body, which if we develop our connection to it, if we, if we, um, you know, if we do lots of good ma'asim and we learn Torah, so then we acquire this secondary body for ourselves. And that is the body that we live in, in Ganeden. Okay, and then somehow when you know Triatamitim doesn't mean that your old body comes back to life. It means that the remnants of your old body fuse with your eternal self. Okay, and that is and that is referred to as a body, even though it's not obviously what we would think of as being a body, but it would be the kind of body that you could be miyaches to Adam Rishon Kodamachet and all sorts of things like that. And the way that I mean, you know, Moshe and Aharon both have access to, to this to this body. Moshe achieves Moshe achieves it when he realizes that through his through his Torah, he steps outside of his limited self and fuses with reality and 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 and, uh, and uh, perceives reality till the end of times. You know, der der v'dorshav, etc. And He's completely outside of his limited self, and that's where he encounters his his uh, eternal self, which is why Trias Amesim has a lot to do with Moshe Rabbeinu, as you know, you know, because Az Yerusha Moshe is where we learn out to you know Trias Amesim in Hatayra, okay, and so it's by through you know through Moshe's concept of Torah, where you step out of the limitations of yourself by by grasping something that's eternal and and uh, and ever present. And goes on and on and on and on forever. So when Moshe's, when, you know, when Moshe's Torah comes to the end of its to its limit, that's where Moshe discovered his discovers his his resurrection body.
right? For I, I, think, I think that could also, you know, I just encourage you. Know, well, let, me, let me just move ahead, on top because ahead, we have to contrast this to Aaron, okay? Let's go ahead. So Aaron, Aaron, Aaron discovers his body the exact opposite way. He completely messes it up. He's the man who with his own, who with his own hands creates the Egil. You know, he is, he is the one who is responsible for all the shivrei luchais that, that, are, that are left over from Amar the Harsinai. He's, he's the man, you know, he's, he's the man who, who collapsed everything. And what Aaron discovers is that all, because he had, in a sense, his heart was in the right place. Okay, because he, you know, he, 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 did, what, he did what he did in order to hold on to Am Yisrael and not let them fall away completely. Then, you know, they'd already, they'd already murdered somebody. They'd already, already murdered one person over this thing. Let's not let them be more guilty than they already are. Let's just hold this all together somehow or another. And Aaron allows himself to create the Egil to save Am Yisrael, to save his people. So it's a very, it's a very curious thing. It's like Aaron is kind of like goes through death, into death, through the loss of everything. And that's where he discovers his um, his priestly body, his, this this body that is that is that is so eternal that death can't touch it. And ever since then, till the end of time, as long as as long as uh, children of Aaron do not marry divorcees, okay, that Aaron body perpetuates itself and becomes fused with the physical body of every Kohen that ever, that ever, that ever lived. So for, for Aaron, it's, you know, if, if, if Moshe has, you know, finds his eternal body through the expansion of his rationality throughout all space and time through Torah, Aaron achieves his eternal body through falling straight into, you know, falling straight into collapse and fragmentation, but doing it absolutely positively with Shem Okay. So perhaps, perhaps this does explain why the, you know, the, the fifth thousandth year is one of complete fragmentation and collapse of Am Yisrael. They're scattered all over the place. They, you know, they're, they're persecuted and, and despised and, and half of them are, you know, half of them are, are, are uh, hanging on in the Muslim lands and some, and the other half are barely breathing in, in, in Christian lands and, and all, all of the, um, you know, Torah is devalued in, in place of Torah, you have two evil dark twins that rise up and present themselves as the, as the, as the true Torah. You know, and what is it nevertheless that holds Am Yisrael together? Okay, it's it's that body of Aaron. But if okay, so you, yeah, so it works out quite well, I think, when you look at it that way. Moshe's Netzach and 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 Aaron is Hod, and Hod is really what needs to be mistaken because you have because you have to over have to overcome that aspect of, of fragmentation and you and you and you do it by somehow fusing Netzach and Hod. Now and this is a point that I would make because I think it's really, really, really true. And and uh, I can't say that for sure that I heard this from my teachers, but I've heard lots of similar things. Okay. And that is that Netzach, as its name implies, has to do with eternal abstract truth. So philosophers basically love Netzach. You know what is what is the what is the abstract truth? Okay, hod is for existentialists. 
Okay, it's each individual human being with his own particularity, with those unparticular perceptions. It's millions and millions of universes that uh, that each universe is connected to a, a particular point of view, and and there's there's nothing necessarily that holds them all together, right? And um, and the, the the twin aspects of of um, universality and rationality versus individuality. That's the dynamism that exists between, between Netzach and Hod, right? Um, and oddly, oddly enough, okay, there's this, this idea that Netzach and Hod are also two millstones. They grind, you know, they grind man for the tzaddikim. They're the source of, they're the source of, of, of shefa in terms of, in terms of parnasa, you know, and they're having a lot to do, let's say, with the kavanas for, for eating. When there's an origin, there's a there's a there's an outcoming, there's an outflow that comes from elamatzilos, which is which is basically what we eat, even though in our perceptions of it, we've kind of trans trans uh, transcribed that into a modality of of struggle and material existence. Right? Uh, Alkol this this outpouring of, of 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 physical reality needs to be ground down by these two millstones. One of them is the eternal truths and the eternal abstract unchanging truths, netza. And the other one is truth as pure individual, individuality and, and, uh, and uh, um, a, um, a multiplicity, an infinite multiplicity of points of view. And somehow between those two ideas comes out the kind of, you know, the kind of, uh, of um, spiritual food that can sustain us, both in our individuality and within our relationship to, to, uh, to eternity. Well, beautifully right. said. I just want to just add a couple, just a little points of contextualization. The first thing is, of course, is that if you look at the Elon, you look at the way the spheres go down, in Chesed and Gvur, of course, we have a certain sense of contrast, of, 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 of extreme contrast. Um, and if we, we talk about Avram and Yitzchak, despite the fact how bonded they were together in the Akedah, we realize that those are elements that we can easily talk about uh, extremes. Tferis, of course, what Tferis does is sort of uh, make things less uh, extreme, much more subtle. So Netzach, although it seems to be on the right side, it seems to be connected to Chesed, really, because it's gone through Teferis, really has a lot of elements of Gevura in it, and a lot of elements of Gevura and Simtsum in it. Hod, although it seems to be uh, a, um, an aspect of Gevura, really, again, because of Teferis, it has uh, those elements of of, of unbridled uh, shefa as well. So you know, obviously, it's a, it's a lot more of a subtle discussion. Uh, uh, again, think about it in terms of a, of a father and child. Now, a father and child, your child has your DNA, but of course, also has fifty percent of your wife's DNA. And therefore, you can understand that you're different than your child. Avram and Yitzchak can be very different despite the facial similarities. Whereas two brothers are obviously much more similar than father and son. So if we, if again, if we use Moshe and Aaron as the template, it makes sense that this mixture of Midos is a lot more uh, clear 
by those two. It's, a, it's murkier in terms of making distinctions, but the idea of, of emphasizing one over the other, but each one has elements of both, I think just needs to be, to be put on the table. The other thing I would say is, you know, the morale of Prague, who uh, I think we could probably devote a whole, spoke about Rabbi Yochanan Zweig and his influence on both of us. But one of the things, of course, that Rabbi Yochanan and others, and I have to say, even before I met Rabbi Yochanan Zweig, I had already been brought into the world of the morale. Um, the morale, of course, uh, magnificently explains the Gemara in Menachos about Moshe Rabbeinu's um, befuddlement when he gets, uh, when he's able to see Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Akiva's base medrash, right? This incredible chazal mm-hmm. about Moshe Rabbeinu somehow being transported uh, into Rabbi Akiva's base medrash and having to stand at the back of the uh, the room and not understanding what's going on. And, and the morale, of course, you know, takes the bull by the horn and talks about the idea of the development of Torah versus Moshe Rabbeinu's pure perception of these concepts and how this is Moshe's moment of, you say, building his his goof. In other words, this world of Moshe's death, Moshe's new body gets built in a way by him recognizing that those principles that have been, are now used in a way that he would never do. As the morale explains, Moshe, of course, would never do inductive reasoning, right? The idea of, of, of having a little, some sort of, uh, you know, breckle of a clue, a little crumb of a clue from which to reconstruct an idea that came to him directly, you know, this was foreign to him. But now when he realizes it, that this is his legacy, that now his goof, his netzach is built. And that's where, despite his befuddlement of what's going on, when he realizes that this is what it's about, that's really what, that's his eternality, is, 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 is what the Gemara Menachos is, is really right. referring to. And again, I, I might just be... Well said. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think yeah. that, that, that really aligns with what you're saying. In, in terms, again, obviously, when we talk about, and again, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, bound here to the Nitziv as a Voloshner person. As you know, my, my grand, great-great-great-grandfather, of course, was a Talmud Muvuk of Rechayim, and I'm very much into that Voloshner world. But what I would say is, is that is the, when you talk about the dis, disassembling and, the, and, and, and sort of like the individuality I guess what I'm trying to make this point is, and this is going to sound as this is going to sound apicarsis to briskers, is that methods of thinking that have abounded in how to approach things. Um, if you speak to a, a a a brisker today, they will tell you that they have discovered the ultimate way to learn, and this is the only way. This is anything else is really insignificant. I think based on what you're saying, if it's true that this is the, the Mida of Aaron, it's extremely power and individualistic, and it might be the right thing for this moment and for this period and for that, you know, couple, 70, 80 years, but it can then become deconstructed. And, 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 and now we're into the next period. Just give me a second here and I'll explain. One of the things that I think you know, and I'm very into this sociological, intellectual history of the thrust of Torah, as you know, in my Rizcha Daraisa uh, podcast. We definitely saw in the turn of what we call the 20th century, the powerful influence of the brisk 
way of thinking, this, this, this analysis of getting to the point, which of course they held up with the shield of Emmes. And this is finally, we finally cut away from the pilpul, and this is the truth, and the kasha doesn't start out, and this became the idea of hakiris. So I think, based on what you're saying, this was a very powerful, individualistic, hoed time that I think is, 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 is has almost spent its power. And now there is another individualistic type of thing, which which is a byproduct of the information world that we have. Look, it's one thing when your name is Rav Chaim Soloveitchik and you have a Balamor and a Ramban or a Rashban or Ritzvah, and now what you're doing is basically you have four things to work on and now here is the idea. It's another thing when the information explosion gives you at your fingertips the whole uh, gamut of sources. Now the, uh, there's a different style of learning. There's a different individualization. There's a new aron, there's a new hode that's going on. And you wanted to say, Reb Nossam, that every individual finds that. I'm going to say, in a way, the aron hashpa is also in terms of in terms of those eras, that there is this era now where it's all about collating information. It's all about aligning Chacham uh, is, for example, a classic example of that. He did it with his own encyclopedic mind. But the rest of us who are all talking to each other and, and, and finding stuff and, and being able to uh, organize, that's our hode for now. Um, uh, do you hear what I'm getting at? In terms of... Yeah. And I think that in that way, yes, it's all built on, on an ultimate edifice of Netzach, but you know the hold of of, of Torah is, is really you're right. Every individual is a byproduct of a period that they lived in. If I would try to teach Torah to this new generation, and I wouldn't open up the complete uh, material that's available through computer technology, in terms of all this mass information that years ago needed hours and hours of searching and finding and jumping up and down. And now it's a, I'm available at the tip of my fingers. I'm going to use, I'm going to develop a different style that's necessary individualistically for me, for this period to build their, their body, <laughs> to build their mm. goose that, that's going to be, right? And I think that's really in line with, with the idea that what you're saying. Uh, and if we don't do that, if we don't really make use of it, then what we're doing is, again, this is the gift of life that Torah needs to sort of like, you know, to uh, uh, slither into, or not even slither, but actually insert itself into and really combine with. And if it doesn't take advantage of the main, look, Corona has brought that out, that the main element of human interaction is uh, filtered through the the cyber world, which is this this network of, of of bits and pixels that gives us access, godlike, to information. Right? You send a guy back in time with an iPhone that works. The man walks around the street. People think he's Jesus Christ. So, I, I think that if we don't use those elements and we don't extend them, and and then we are basically. Um, abdicating 
and really not being true to Midas Ahoyd. Okay. Does that make sense? No, you know, typically, we're, I mean, just remember, we're not actually in Hyde anymore. We're, we're in Yesod, and Yesod is more along the lines of harmonization of those, of those two principles into a single, you know, into a single uh, <coughs> tipa, which is ready to be sent off into the, uh, um, into the world of the and then into, will, into the, which, the, which will be the year 6,000. Uh, yeah, well, whatever ha whatever happens after these six thousand years, we'll, we're gonna gonna find out, I suppose. But one of the things that I, I think is important to point out within this whole within this whole picture is that the transition between Chesed Gvurat Tiferet and Netzachod and Yesod is a is is a very powerful thing. What happens is that that the um, the spiritual concepts undergo a diminution. You know, things in Chesed, Gvran, and Teferet are very big, right? They're very, they're very expansive. And in the, in the world, I guess, I guess the easiest way to say this is that, is that nobody has a suffix that the world is full of will. It could be a Kaddish Baruch Hu's will. It could be the will of all sorts of different Tavayda Zara. Okay? But the world, is, the world is alive. The world is vibrant. The world is full of, of, of of um of soul you know and the the challenge of being a jew or being a non-jew is do you go after the the more uh, particularistic elements of that i mean do you you know do you see baal in the storm and 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 uh and um asherah in the in the fruitful earth or do you see hakadosh baruch is everything right and and that be, that's the that's the major challenge. And by the way, people are going to gravitate towards Baal and Asherah because they because that gives you more of an ability to directly control, you know. Because if Baal is a specific entity and Asherah is a specific entity, then you can make little statues of, of this this thing and that thing, and you can bring them together, and you can do all sorts of manipulations and hopefully try and get the system, you know, to give you to give you what you want. If you're worshiping a Kadosh Baruch Hu, all that you could do is ask. But at least you're telling the truth. I'm a helpless human being. I don't have any control over any of this, but I'm going to beg you because you are, you know, you are everything and you are love and you love your people and you love your land. Please, you know, bring the rain and let the let the crops grow properly. And in doing so, you activate all of those same midot that the that the would be would be trying to do, but they would be doing it through manipulation. You would be doing it through honest speech, right? And that also takes you to some extent to the difference in Bilam and Moshe Rabbeinu. You know, So there's two concepts of This one manipulates everything and everybody to a desired end that he determines, and 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 Moshe also wants certain results, but all he can do is ask, right? Different. Once you, once you cross over that threshold between Chesed Gvurat Teferet and Netzachod Yisod, things, things contract, things become smaller. And the reason why this is, is because it's a hachano for Yichud. And in order to, in order to be misyached, you have to be mistzamsem, as the Balatanya said, and you know, also based upon the Magid Mezrich. You know, it's the eternal mashal of the of the great wise person who has to explain a difficult concept to a to a to, to grasshopper. Clutch the pebble from my hand, grasshopper. You know, and you know, in you have to you have to shrink things and contract things tremendously. The contraction is that when you move out of real living 
reality where reality is alive and you drop down a nature to somewhat somewhat more deadened reality what deadened reality involves two principles eternal cosmic truths which always operate and operate and operate um without any regard for for um for individual needs and then on the other side of that you have broken down individuality which is completely which is completely fragmentary and has no you know and, and also has no ability to control anything right um but somehow these these two poles are what it what remains after you go through that contraction of life and the purpose of doing this is so that you should be able to be molid so they should be able to propagate a um uh, a new kind of spiritual truth on through a different different dimension. This happens, by the way, by Yosef. You know, when Yosef leaves Eretz Yisrael and he's midati yisod, but he's sold down into Egypt. Okay, and he loses his he loses his connection to his uh, to his family and to his father. That's the netzachod yisod diminution for for Yosef. And Yosef actually descends twice. He descends one time into into Egypt. And then he also descends into the pit. Now, these two descents of Yesod pretty much correspond, right? There's a there's a descent into Yesod which is for the purposes of bringing Am Yisrael from one, you know, from a condition of potentiality <coughs> to continue of actuality. Right? Then there's another one which is really a preparation for the fourth thousandth year and the and the fifth thousandth year in particular. So Yosef Babor, when the Bor Habor in that it is a remez to to the um, to the the real historical descent into Netzach Vahod. Now that Yosef's descent into slavery and 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 Mitzrayim is also a terrible descent, but it's a it's a more controlled descent because you know you know where the plan is going. Okay, you're going to go into Mitzrayim, and then there's going to be Shibud, and then there's going to be Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And then from that, you know, from from that negation comes the whole, comes the whole spectacular uh, reality of of Matatora and 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 beyond, so and, I, and, and Gula. Can, right. can I just throw something in there yeah. before we wrap up? Is that yes, again, and obviously we are zeroing in on on our period of Pesach, which is in front of us, which of course is based on what you have set out would be connected was 2448 so that would be smack almost in the middle of teferis right because from the year zero to 1000 we have chesed from 1000 to 2000 we have gvura right from 2000 to 3000 we have teferis which is where you have pesach and matan torah right and, yeah, and, I mean, Teferis begins basically the birth of Avram Avinu, and runs all the way through till uh, Binyan Bais Rishon, or you know the right, right. or so, Shlomo Hamelah. That's right. So, from two thousand to three thousand, we have Teferis, which is interesting. Again, you know, as we say, but what needs to be seen is that what 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 readies all these incredible events to happen, which is Yitzias Mitzrayim with its indicator one-time indicator that human beings recognize god's control of the universe right and matan torah that god is connected to human beings and loves again these two events which are so 
unique that never occur again, right? Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, which is the total power over all physical uh, elements, being directed in a logical way that we can see for a purpose. Secondly, you have, of course, the the actual conversation and, and prophetic influence from God, the, the creator of everything, to human beings, those two events which are which never occur again, and right, um, those what what was machsher that to happen is what you say is midas yisod. Now here's what I want to add here, and again I'm just thinking about it as we're talking. Um, yes, Yosef has two yuridos, but you know what is the symbol of his control is his seduction and resistance to Aisha's Potiphar. In that boudoir of Aisha's Potiphar that we're given such a graphic description of, much more graphic than anything else that we hear. Ishmaelim send him here, he's there, one Pusik. But when we when the narrative zeroes in on the events and what's happening, that's where the idea is alive. And that's where I would say and argue that it's in his self-control and feelings and reflection with Aisha's Potiphar, especially Chazal's incredible language, Noat's Etzer Tsiparnov, right? His 10 fingers, he actually puts them into the ground and the Zera is Yotze out of his fingertips. That image of, of that's where Yosef is, yes, I'm in control, but there's something coming. There's something, <laughs> I don't mean that literally, but there's something that's actually bubbling up. There's something, again, every word I take is, is, is the wrong metaphor. But the point is, is that that's Yosef being machshir, the Bria. There's Midas Yisod really in its place. There's this incredible control, but at the same time, there is this idea of what's to come. There's this idea of being on one hand, I'm I'm usoed. I have to be firm. It's just not it's not splattering all over the place. On the other hand, it's it's <laughs> what I'm allowing <laughs> to happen is I'm allowing that shefa. I'm allowing malchus to occur. I'm allowing, although again, it's going to happen again. There's going to be Mashiach of Yosef in the elif coming now, but Yosef there on that couch is really in a way, with the demus of his father, is really in a way harnessing, you know, the midas yisod, in my mind, completely, which is why I think the Torah gives it uh, so much, uh, you know, uh, so much pub, why the Torah gives us so much right. detail. It isn't just to create something for, Adver- you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, you know, to make a musical out. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's where... Now, there- there was there was a there was a point that I was trying to make which I was sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I, I'm gonna try to wrap this up really, really go quickly. Ahead. But I just want to say when you when you when you realize that there's there's two elements to this interplay of of transition between uh Tiferis to side, Okay. And one of them plays out within the framework of the time period of Tiferis. Now it's the time period in which in which basically there's there's a, a a universe which is alive and vibrant, and 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 active, okay, right, and that's that's a universe which is one a certain a certain kind of universe that has an, a, an extensive vitality to it. 
So Yosef, Yosef goes down and the, the um, descent becomes the preamble for something else, which basically life of Am Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael under the leadership of Nevi'im. Now Nevi'im are Netzach and Hod. Right? Moshe is Moshe is Netzach, Aaron is Aaron is Hod. And that's how you have Netzach and Hod operating at that point in history. Okay, you know, Aaron and Moshe also go down to Egypt in order to in order to orchestrate the Geula. They're also the foundation of the of the civilization that's going to follow to follow that that Geula. But they fit in contextually if you realize that there is a Netzach Hod Yesod of Chesed Vratiferet, which is which belongs to it, and it's not to be confused with Netzach Hod Yesod of the total system. Because when you start descending into the Netzach of the total system, that's going down, that's Yosef going down into the pit. Where, where the vitality disappears, everything is really, really, really constricted. Where what is left after all of the true Shefa goes away, so to speak, is, is just abstract truth versus individual, uh, you know, individual points of view and this is the this is the netzach and hod which is which remains when you go down to that level and you're you're going down to a level where things are primarily naturalistic and in a naturalistic world you have two principles which the rambam was quite familiar with one of them being chokhmah which is in his in his in his concept it's this act uh, abstract truth and the other is randomness Right, so in a sense, the tikkun of randomness is what's happening here in Netzach, you know, in, in this in this dimension, and you see it quite clearly in Purim because you know a goral is basically a random event, and it's a random event that can that can tell you something, right? So according so according to according to um, Haman, you know. I'm going to roll the dice and whatever the dice say is going to be the good time to, you know, to eliminate the Jews. And it's a, and it, why now? Why not later? Basically it's a random event. Although, although it's a random event that I can use for my, you know, for my benefit. So randomness gives me some ability every once in a while to, to try and impose my will on, on things. It also helps if, you know, that's the day the Moshe Rabbeinu died and, you know, and, and all that, all that other sort of stuff. Um, who shows us that randomness is a hastara, it's a hastarat panim of the presence of a Kadosh Baruch Hu. But a Kadosh Baruch Hu works through randomness just as well as he works through, through eternal principles, right? And that's how, and that's how you have Netzach and Hod kind of rectifying each other, or let's say Hod being rectified by Netzach. So the, the miracle of Purim happens in this period of history. However, the tikkun of it happens on the side of Hod, which is why, which is why we, we mentioned the miracle in Modim, which is, of course, connected to... Uh, to hold and thanks, you know, hold and Thanksgiving. So that's really what I was trying to trying to get to in a in a way. Just just real just realizing that Moshe and Aharon have their own concept of Netzach and Hod Yisod, which they're a part of, which is not necessarily to be confused with Netzach Hod Yisod of the of the uh, of the story of Megillah. It's a different dimension. And the way that the Mukubalim have say this is that they say, well, this is this is Netzach Hod Yisod of Chesed Buratiferet. Right, and and the netzachod yisod that we're going that we go in 
go into is, let's say, the real Netzachod Yisod, or they'll say something like Netzachod Yisod of Netzachod Yisod, which they'll use that language to refer to the to to that bottom triad. So it's a much it's so it's a much different place. That's why, like I said, you know, there's there's two dinim of Yerida by by Yosef. There's one dinim Yerida to Mitzrayim, which is his which is his real location. That's his real thing that he's doing, because that's the Netzachod. That's the Yerida to that level of Netzachod Yisod, which is which is native to his point of view. Right. And and it's and that's just a preparatory stage for for Gula and Gula is full of Nevoah and you have Moshe and Aharon and you know and that's all part of the same picture. The Netzachod Yisod that we're involved with now as we struggle against, you know, the the Hastarot Panim, the, the sense that randomness is a real thing, or the sense that, that the, the world is is run by abstract principles that don't care about individuals at all, don't care about us, and are not are not subject to modification. Okay, those are the two principles of the naturalistic worldview that we that we that we struggle against, and that is a much darker nahi, you know, than than the one that they were fight the one that they were working with in times of in the times of the Avos or the or the time of the of the of uh, Yitzias Petrayim. So I just thought I would kind of lay that out if if it, if it's if it's been um, you know if it. I get it. If it's understandable, it. fine. If not, uh, you know, I hope that somebody. Ah, <laughs> you know, send, so I'm sure somebody gives it a serious listening, gives yeah, it a try. Maybe send us some comments on that. Yeah. So on that note, we will uh, get our strap ourselves in uh, for uh, the next couple of weeks and hopefully be able to mine many of these elements in terms of our latest Hashem. That's been it, my friends. Take care. And we will hopefully see you as we are on this uh, period towards a Midas, not only a, a, a harnessing of Midas Yisod, but hopefully reaching a Hisgalus of Geula, where we already sense that Mechanas Malchus uh, right, right uh, in front of us in such a palpable way. Take care, my friend. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 